Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to New Books in Hindu Studies, a podcast channel on New Books Network. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Uma Majmudar about her new, brand new Lexington Books uh, 2020 publication uh, book entitled Gandhi and Raj Chandra, The Making of the Mahatmya. Uma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so, so much. And I really appreciate this opportunity to speak about my favorite subject. (laughs) Gandhi, Uh, my favorite subject, yes. Well, you're definitely passionate about the topic, aren't you? Maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about how your, your love affair with the Mahatma grew up. Okay. First of all, it is Mahatma, because when you say Mahatma... Pardon, pardon me, I'm so used to saying Mahatma because of the texts that I study. Of course, it's Mahatma. Sanskrit is called Mahatma is the, you know, glory, but uh, and the qualities that went into... Okay. It's, a, it's a Freudian slip. Right. No, I didn't know that. That's perfect. Um, my passion for Gandhian philosophy started way, way earlier in my middle childhood because I remember vaguely that we had a, I think I was in eighth grade or so. There was one chapter from Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography, which made a deep impact on me. And then I forgot all about it until I started my PhD education at uh, Emory University. And I was qualified as an ILA student which means that I'm entitled to take courses in all interdisciplinary subjects. So naturally, my inclination was towards religion, theology. So I put together such courses, which will have, you know, opening for all to study all different religious personalities. And I was very, very fortunate to take a course under Dr. James Fowler. Probably you must have heard his name. He was, he's no more now. He was my PhD advisor and his book, Stages of Faith Development. In that, the highest stage of faith, which is faith, Stage six, he includes Gandhi, and that further piqued my interest. And I was so, so delighted. And when I studied the stages of faith, which are structural self-developmental stages, and I thought if Gandhi belongs to the highest stage, what is it about him that needs study? So I started to take a deeper look into Gandhi, read everything that Gandhi wrote. And then I checked with my advisor, if for my PhD thesis, if anybody has studied Gandhi under the philosophical stages created by him, because he wrote a book 
stages of faith. And uh, Professor Fowler said that nobody has done that study until now. So you are the one. Why don't you start? And that's how I first started my uh, Gandhian study for my PhD thesis for dissertation. And it's a this big tome, <laughs> a big volume. And I will show you, it's right here. It is this. For those of us, for those of you on the podcast, uh, Umaji is holding up her tome of a dissertation that makes the Monier Williams Dictionary look small, <laughs> the Sanskrit English Dictionary. And it was so difficult for me to contain how many, uh, one thousand plus, not one thousand, sorry, five hundred pages into my first book, which is called Gandhi's. Pilgrimage of Faith, and that was published in 2005 by SUNY, State University of New York. So that was my first study on Gandhi. This is my second book, which looks into the particularity of Gandhi and Rajchandra relationship. And so why Gandhi, yes. So for, for those who are listening, who may have a bit of background, some may be well acquainted, some may not. Um, who is this Rajchandra? Of course, you have much more to say than most on the topic, but even in a cursory way, who is this figure? Oh, wonderful. Most of the people would say, Rajchandra, who? <laughs> because it's so unfortunate that uh, most of the people know about Mahatma, but very few people know about who was behind the making of the Mahatma. It's not meant to say that without this person, Gandhi would not have become a Mahatma. That's not the intent. But the idea is that what went into this dynamic relationship between Rajchandra and Gandhi, to say in a very short way, to introduce Rajchandra is to say two things that strike anyone or should strike at. Number one, that he is an extremely gifted, talented person who is also a successful jewelry or diamond dealer. But, and he is also a married person. So a sansari is very, very fascinating to see that this kind of worldly, so-called worldly grihasthi man happens to be at the same time a genuine, serious seeker after truth. And that's the quality which Gandhiji was looking for because he was that time desperately in need of some spiritual anchor in his life. And when he went to London to become a barrister, he met theosophists, he met New Age thinkers, vegetarians, he met. Uh, he also read for the first time Bhagavad Gita, uh, which Edwin Arnold was translating at that time. And that time, so he was 
initially introduced to his own religion by foreigners, but that did not satisfy him until he comes to know very, very personally and closely this man, Rajchandra, who was a kavi, a poet, a shatavdhani, a person who can remember 100 things at a time, but more importantly, who is inside a deeply spiritual person, seeker after truth and self-realization. So this is where I would say they clicked. And this was the spiritual hunger, hunger for truth and self-realization that brought them or connected them together. Can we say that Rachandra was Gandhi's guru? Uh, no, unfortunately, that is very, very surprising. But let's discuss that. Gandhiji, uh, I think he does not say in his autobiography, but elsewhere, yes, in his preface to Rachandra, he says that though I was very, very happy to drink deeply the nectar of religion from Rachandra. However, I will not call him my guru. And why he did that, Eric Erickson has wondered in his Gandhi's truth. Many people have that if he's so devoted to his philosophy and his character, why is he not saying out front that he's my guru? And there are two or three reasons that I think Gandhi himself would say in, in uh, support of why. So first thing that the type of person Gandhi was, he liked to drink from many wells, not one well. He learned from many, many people besides Rakshandra. And we discussed that, I will come to that later. So that was one of it. Second thing, in his opinion, Rajchandra was almost there, about to reach that peak of self-realization. But then he felt terribly sick and he could not reach his goal. But at the same time, Gandhi said, if anyone came close to becoming his guru, it was Rajchandra. So I would, in my book, I'm saying that guru or not, officially guru or formally guru or not, he was Gandhi's teacher, mentor, spiritual guide. Actually, he says that Rajchandra was my spiritual refuge. So we can say in ordinary terms, I think he was more than his guru. He was his soulmate. He was his most trustworthy friend. And at one point in my book, you might have noticed, I say, what was Rakshandra to Gandhi? He was what Krishna was to Arjun in Bhagavad Gita. He was his close friend trustworthy friend. 
It was his soulmate. They were coping grims on the path of truth. And most importantly, they were in search of the highest truth and self-perfection, self-realization. So their goals also were similar. Uh, I can go on and on. So, <laughs> so what I find to be quite interesting, I mean, there's a lot, obviously, that's interesting, yes. is that in a strict uh, classical Indian sense, take on a guru is a, is a big deal. And for, for a guru to take on a shisha, a disciple is a big deal. And so it is understandable that, uh, you know, uh, Gandhi didn't take on formal diksha uh, or belong to a, a tradition in that sense. Nevertheless, what I find interesting is that in this principle of, of mentorship, mm -hmm. of, of guidance, mm -hmm. is, 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 is everywhere. Whether you have a, an influential, caring professor, uh, whether you have a consultant, and it's interesting to me that, similar to how yoga means something more narrow in the West than it does in classical Indian thought, so too the word guru means something much more narrow, where one in uh, young folks are looking for a, a guru in their business life. They're looking for someone to mentor them in a much more practical way without, you know, so it's very interesting that in, in, in modern parlance, certainly Rajchandra was a small G guru of Gandhi, but not in the sense of, you know, the, the, the face of the parampara for him or, 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 or the giver of diksha or, 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 or he, he who's awake, Who's, who's kindling the flame of awakening in another, not in that sense, but clearly. I, I, I'll share a brief anecdote to kind of elucidate what I'm trying to say. Uh, two of my, uh, I, have a, I have a consulting practice, uh, mostly life consulting. Yes. Two of my clients, yes. one who's um, late 20s, almost 30, one who's 60, both of them independently through the consultancy, mind you, nothing to do with uh, Indian thought culture. They're not studying Devi with me, for example, or any of that stuff. They're just mm. life coaching clients. Both of them said, you know, I think you're my guru. Mm. But I did a double take, but then I realized that they, they mean that in a small G sense. Mm. Someone to offer advice and guidance and inspiration and support. And certainly Rajchandra was up to Gandhi. And then some. So it's, it's an interesting distinction. Uh, that's why I asked the question, because I, I, I knew much would come of it. May I, um, may I add something? Absolutely. Uh, yes. I would say not small g. You know why? Because yes, of course, uh, Gandhi consulted him. You know that when he was in South Africa, and when he was in deep crisis, and when he was pressured, by Muslims and by Christians to convert to their religion, Gandhi wrote letters after letters to Rachandraji. So of course he was his guide and in that sense consultant or guru. However, there is something more I think that qualifies him to become his supreme guru. And why? because it is not only his ideas or his philosophy and his advice that Gandhi valued, 
but he try he aspired to become like Rajchandra, a person who embodied, who personified religion. He practiced what he preached. So in all respects, listen, he was a successful businessman. So from Rajchandra's character, from observing his every move from day to day, that Gandhi learned more than from his ideas or his lectures or discourses or advice. So this is what distinguishes Rajchandra. I argue in my book, why does Gandhi place him even above Tolstoy, Ruskin, Thoreau? Because he read their books. He also instantly changed his life after reading Ruskin's book. But the deepermost interior development of character, that is what happened only in presence of Rajchandra. And that impact was the deepest of all. He acknowledges that I value all others, but in my heart, Rajchandra, the way he molded my character, shaped my inner self. And, and Gandhi, almost like a child that time, child in the sense of spiritual development. So when he watched every move and behavior, how this man aligns three aspects, speech, Vani, Vartan, behavior, and thoughts. So Gandhi finds in Rajchandra a complete package of Vani, Vichar, and Vartan. That in speech, ideas, and action. So that's why I think that he's more than G. <laughs> but Yes, I understand what you mean. It's a rare, it's a, it's a rare sort of influence that can touch your being and, and inspire you and become an exemplar, particularly spiritual exemplar in the world. That's a rare sort of 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 influence. What what sort of data do you look at? What do you look at in the book? What I'm looking at is number one. I want this man, this phenomenal man to be known by people. It's so, as I said earlier, very sad, unfortunate, that this person whom Gandhi himself repeatedly mentions in his autobiography, he devoted two chapters to Rajchandra. When you see the blockbuster movie Gandhi, which has taken the world by storm, it is a wonderful movie, but it only deals with the political and social Gandhi, the social servant, the Mahatma in a political sense. But even that movie does not go into the actual inner self-development of Gandhi, stage by stage by stage. What was in the end, what he was made of, what, what were his uh, initial 
impressions in childhood. So what is missing most of the time in all Gandhian literature, I think, is this very important factor about how it happened, how a ordinary man like Mohandas Gandhi gradually, 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 through trial and error, through meeting very influential figures who were great intellectuals and also religionists. But here he comes across a man who is a perfect ideal, even not only for spiritual, just high-caliber people, but for ordinary people. Here is an ideal that, yes, you can be in the world, but not of the earth. And that was the model, which I think he imbibed from Rajchandra. And he says, when he first addresses uh, Indians in South Africa, in Pretoria, he says, look, people, you can be a businessman and thrive. And at the same time, you can be a truthful person. So truth and success, truth and material achievements are not incompatible. You can do it. So just like you mentioned that word exemplar, Rajchandra proved to be an exemplar for Gandhi to practice spirituality in whichever field you are comfortable with. And you can see here that their paths are different. Though their goals are same, Rajchandra was, uh, what should we should say, a solo. He followed a solo path all the way to self-realization. Gandhi became involved in people's lives. He tried to uh, change the political climate. So I think that this aspect must be brought out. Rajchandra must be known as the principal figure who shaped and molded Gandhi and prepared him. Somebody said that, well, and you might be knowing about Yugapurush play, which is now worldwide known. But in that also, what I find, I'm not trying to put it down, but I'm trying to say that it is not correct to say that without Rajchandra, Mahatma would not have happened. What I am saying is that the chief ingredients which went into what you call Mahatma Hood or Mahatma Ship, they were absorbed, they were what uh, Gandhi found in Rajchandra and he was inspired to become like him. Can you share some of their exchanges that you talk about in the book to yes. sort of elucidate uh, or to, to sort of dramatize uh, the exchange for us? Like share some of their meaningful exchanges. Wonderful. Uh, one that comes to my mind, one of the very hot exchanges, and this is one wonderful, because um, if I go back to Thomas Moore, who calls them soulmates, what is a soulmate? 
when two temperamentally uh, matching people, in the sense that both have same chemistry, same goals in life, and who see eye to eye on these things. So when we say that there was a dialectical process of interaction between them, even though he was his guru, let's say, not guru, but mentor, he could argue with him. He could challenge him. And one episode comes to my mind. I don't know which chapter it is. I think it is uh, the chapter on which I discussed Rajchandra's views and its impact on Gandhi. Okay, this is what it, a real dialogue. One time, Gandhi very excitedly comes to Rajchandra and says, uh, <laughs> in modern terms, we can say, guess what? But that's not what he said. <laughs> he said, today, you know, this Mrs. Um, what's her name? Uh, a parliamentarian's wife. But the name doesn't come right now. Until I refer to this chapter. But let's not waste time. So this uh, wife of a parliamentarian in Britain that she served her husband tea in the middle of the parliament session. And so Gandhi was touched by the, you know, typical uh, faithfulness and devotion of a wife to a husband. So Rajchandra takes him to task. And do you think that you would be as impressed if it had been not his wife, but his sister? or his servant that saw the tea. So that made Gandhi think that what is he saying here? That a person, if some suppose she had been his wife and devoted, that's wonderful. But a wife loves her husband, suppose, and that's why her service is not selfless compared to what he says that servant's devotion would have been better. Although you can argue with that too. But the point is that, yes, they used to argue back and forth. And at the end, they accepted also the other person's point of view. And that is very, very significant. Toward the end, when I discuss the influence we'll talk about in detail later, Jainism. But one of the things of Jainism, in which you invite, you are open to more than one opinions, even though somebody differs from you. So the point I'm making is that Gandhiji also learned from Rakchandra that you can be best friends and you can agree on many things, but there may be points of disagreement, but you should be, uh, you can disagree without being disagreeable. That's what I think learned. There are so many qualities that he learned from Rajchandra and learned in the sense of not formally, but as you say, organically. He observed him 
and he watched him from day in and day out, how he dealt with his people, his co-workers, his servant, his wife, students, and he had what we call some drishti, equanimity, equal eye. So these are some of the points of character making that Gandhi learned from Rajchandra. You remind me of my guru's words. He, he said to me on more than one occasion, <laughs> he used to call me Raju. Raju, ah. look. <laughs> yeah, how, Raju. How, he says, uh, uh, how a man walks, how a man talks. Yes. That is his consciousness. Yes. Not the words he speaks. Yes. And this principle has served me well over the years. Um, so you mentioned the influence of Jainism. Yes. And in particular, you mentioned uh, the influence of Anekantavada. Uh, what more do you want to say about the influence of Jainism as it pertains to Rajchandra and Gandhi? Glad you asked, because uh, of course, Anikantvad and Syadvad, Gandhi learned and adopted, adapted rather. But I would say that two or three principles about Jainism, which are, for example, non-violence or ahimsa, satya, is not that they are not there in other religions, Buddhism, Hinduism particularly uh, Ahinsa Paramo Dharma Mahabharata says that. However, the, I think the maximum emphasis is in Jainism on nonviolence. And this nonviolence is not just in words, not only in uh, you know, not abusing somebody or not being unkind or aggressive. But it is manasa, vacha, karmana in words, in action, and in thoughts. So that aspect of nonviolence, Gandhi ingested. And uh, the way I am also claiming that the seeds of nonviolence he observed in his old guru, Rachandra, that he was a genuinely kind person, a non-violent person, who treated all alike with the same consideration. And one example I give is about uh, a client who came to return what he had bought. And without argument, Rajchandra not only returned the money, but also cancelled the check if there was check at that time. But the point is that, yes, he was not into uh, money-making, but he was a genuine person who treated everybody alike. So coming to that, he observed his guru uh, also serving his servant who was deathly ill, and he cleaned his wound and all that. So all that impression went deep inside. Secondly, nonviolence does not stop at not hurting anybody. It goes further a step ahead that not only don't injure or hurt, but go ahead, 
Hercule and do some genuinely kind gesture to wipe out that animosity. So Gandhi said at one point, how to kill an enemy? By killing the feeling of animosity. And these principles, he not only ingested, but used later on in Satyagraha. That is one of my seminal points I'm making toward the end of the book. There is a whole chapter of Satyagraha. So what he absorbed consciously as well as unconsciously from his guru, he utilized that to uh, benefit this society, to improve uh, untouchability, wipe out untouchability. He used it in his non-violent protest against British for independence of India. So non-violence is one truthfulness, not only in words, but in every action and thought. So these two principles, and third one is not highlighted, but I make a particular point to mention, how do you implement truth? Third thing is tapasya, self-suffering for truth, which are the three pillars of Satyagraha. Satya, Ahinsa, and suffering for truth. Pay this self-sacrifice. Sacrifice your life if you have to. And we see in the civil rights movement and the time of Satyagraha, he clearly warned his people, be prepared to go to jail, to be beaten up without retaliation. So these are, I think, uh, some of the elements of his uh, mentor's teachings that he incorporated in his uh, fight for independence. Now, what about the precept of brahmacharya? You talk about that in your book. Yes, very difficult too, but uh, it is something that if you mention Gandhi, you got to mention that. Um, look, brahmacharya, is not just in this book or uh, accepted or actually practiced by Gandhi. It is in every Eastern religion, Buddhism, Jainism, Hinduism, and other Eastern religions. I think even in Christianity, but what I find to be interesting is Rajendra's ideas about observance of uh, celibacy, for the lack of better word, brahmacharya in marriage. And this is another example of a dialogue between the two in the book. When I say discussions, they're very open and very sensitive discussions. Uh, during that discussion, what Gandhi heard from Rajchandra and uh, Rajchandra has written in his Roj Nishi diaries. And there are volumes and volumes which are bound together in Vachan Amrut. Rajchandra's Vachan Amrut, which I studied in India. In that, somebody asked him, well, 
you are asking people to observe brahmacharya in marriage how is it possible and if that is so why did you yourself get married in the first place and actually answers that that was because i was not opposed to it they are not incompatible marriage and brahmacharya he said that yes i married at the job 20 but it was because of my purva destiny or karma but how i behave as a married man is up to me and right or wrong but he believed in a husband wife relationship only for the sake of progeny when a couple desires children other than that he did not condone intimacy and again i say the book that from modern standards from egalitarian marriage concept somebody may raise a question was it fair to his wife now in this case let me before i go to that point let me see why let me express why gandhi was deeply touched by this point actually he said i felt ashamed of myself that during my younger years i did not respect my wife as an individual and he very clearly says that he imposed himself on her not abused and she being a traditional woman she went along but after uh, talking with or listening to rachandra he was like shocked or awakened that oh my goodness he felt little bit what we call guilty conscious and that became being gandhi for an ordinary person <laughs> it will be a different reaction but for him he was a kind of person whatever he was lacking in or he thought that he was he had committed a himalayan blunder at one point he says the point is what do you do after you learn that so he determined that day that i would stop not only because it is not right or fair to my wife but also because i want to spend more time in public service and so these are the two arguments he makes about uh, observing brahmacharya so brahmacharya to him he does not say that it should totally be absent but it should be very uh, used very discreetly and only for the sake of project and that's a whole chapter in my book which discusses his different aspects of why and what and second thing i must say when gandhi ji was in south africa preparing himself to participate in zulu war and when he literally saw with his naked eyes the the amount of violence on the battlefield that in his mind he put it he compared it to 
violence of men on women in bed, even as his wife. So that was a jarring, uh, what shall we say, catalyst impression. And he went, and of course, he had four children by that time. <laughs> and he decided to then finally take an oath of Brahmacharya. That now that's it. I'm committing 100%. And I don't know how history will cover it. But that went into the ultimate step of becoming a Mahatma who is totally dedicated to people and politics as service of people, service to God. So may I ask you, uh, Umaji, just as a thought experiment, let's just say there are two people in a marriage, yeah? And let's just say one or both of them are very spiritual in the sense of that they value chastity or brahmacharya. Yeah. Can one or should one take a vow of brahmacharya without consulting the other? As a thought experiment, is it a decision they make together or can one make the decision individually in your view? Personally, of course, both being equal partners in life and husband and wife, what we call dharmachariti in Hinduism. There should be no secret, no enforcement of one party on the other in any regard. It should be mutuality. And that's what Eric Erickson says, and he takes the Mahatma to task. In one of the chapters, he says, Mahatma Ji, let me ask you, was that fair what you did to Kasturba? That you took the vow of Brahmacharya, did you consult her? And I don't exactly remember what Gandhi said, but I know that he had let her know whether he sought his, sought her uh, agreement or not, consent or not, that is not clear. But I think if you ask any person who is married for the right reason, should, and I think in 99%, it should be a mutually taken decision, not an enforcement of one on the other. There's so much uh, interesting uh, information in the book, and you obviously have a great passion for the topic. Which uh, chapter or, 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 or segment, uh, 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 how to say, um, which do you, did you enjoy writing the most? Which was most uh, enjoyable to you? Well, there are. So many. <laughs> so many. Uh, you're right. If I were to pick one, you know, it was the first meeting between the two. Tell us about it. Uh, uh, because I find it very, their attraction to each other was magnetic. It was like iron drawn to, you know, a, a magnet. magnet. And why so? Because I think toward the end of the chapter, in the final word, I discuss that here there is a, we discussed earlier, there are soulmates. 
Gandhi at that time at age 22 was more than ready now to go in depth experience of religion. He had heard a lot. Now, thanks to Theosophists and Edwin Arnold and uh, all that vegetarians that he was introduced. Now he was not a dunce. But at the same time, he needed an actual living example of somebody who projects that, all that philosophy and all those ideas which he found in Achanda. So that first meeting, each recognized the other. And this point is extremely important. And I think um, Erickson says in Gandhi's truth, that listen, the biggest uh, contribution of Rajchandra is to palpate, to, to detect that inherent, unfulfilled spiritual hunger Gandhi. When he was a little boy, you know that he read Harish Chandra's story, truthful Harish Chandra and Shravana. So there was a natural inclination toward truth. However, nobody explained to him formally or introduced him to religion when he was growing up. And he had many questions about Manu Smruti others, but he said everybody brushed him aside. No, no, you are too young. And as in those times, you know, parents take them to temples and take them to performances and ceremonies, but they don't explain why they are doing what they are doing. So until he met Rajchandra, his intellectual thirst, his uh, spiritual fulfillment, if you will, remained unfulfilled. And Rajchandra, that's why Erickson says that to Rajchandra uh, goes the honor of uh, bringing out or articulating Gandhi's unarticulated spiritual potential. So that's why that. And uh, from every other point of view of writing, arguing, and uh, uh, making a strong impact of why Rakshandra alone won Gandhi's heart and soul. I would go to chapter 11, Ruskin, Tolstoy, and Thoreau. The impact, sorry, 12, chapter 12. Who won the battle for Gandhi's soul? Tolstoy, Ruskin, or Ratchet? And here I think uh, I would pass my own test, <laughs> if I may say so. That listen, Tolstoy made a profound life-changing impact on Gandhi by his book, uh, Heaven is Within You, The Kingdom of Heaven is within you. So also Ruskin's book, Unto This Last, which Gandhiji translated in Gujarati as Sarvo Daya. So there is no denying that the impact of their books and ideas 
were so profound that overnight Gandhi left Johannesburg and moved into an ashram which he founded, Tolstoy Ashram. But still he said, Rajchandra is, I am putting above even these two, why? For three reasons. One, he said that Rajchandra was an authentic, no nonsense, serious spiritual, not only seeker, but practitioner. He practiced what he preached. Second thing he says that what the other two did not have or we don't know of is that Rajchandra had personal, deeper uh, experience of self-realization. Although he did not reach to the very top, he was fast moving in that direction. So here is a genuine inner experience of the person which Rajchandra alone had, the other two did not have. Third thing, that being close to Rajchandra, he had an opportunity to study, to observe each and every move of the person, his minutest thoughts, whether they were translated into action or not. And he observed, just like any family person would. And remember, there is one episode he cites in which he goes to his shop and he attends, he sits there. He sees him dealing with his clients. He sees him talking with his co-workers. And when he sees, he's convinced that he treats everyone with respect, whether you are client or your boss or inferior. There is no such idea. Equanimity. And second thing, truthfulness. That, okay, you are dissatisfied. You know, before <laughs> a modern thing that... Customer is always right. He practiced that time. The right or wrong, this uh, customer is dissatisfied. Okay, return his money and let him cancel the whole deal. So what I'm saying is that he had this proximity with a person which he did not have in the case of Tolstoy or Thoreau. Only books were there. And of course, they made profound impact. But none like the actual effect, actual absorption, unconscious absorption of Rajendra's ideas. So on various counts, uh, we can say that uh, Gandhi took Rajendra inside him and gradually became that. And not only that, but it served the worldwide community via or through implementing truth and nonviolence through Satyagraha. And he changed his own life also like that. So here is a person who means what he says and says what he means and does not look at his personal uh, interest as much as how it's impacting or affecting others. And you know that Gandhi had, I mean, innumerable, innumerable uh, followers 
in Britain, in West, in East, men, women, and all that. And that was because of his Charitra character. Beautiful. So we are close to time for today. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on or say? Um, one thing that <laughs> here I'm talking about a little bit now in modern terms. I genuinely, genuinely wish that the purpose for which I have written this book to bring to the forefront the most vitally important person who played a pivotal part in the process of transformation of Gandhi into Mahatma should be known worldwide. I don't know whether one can make a movie of it or not, but at least this book, if it wants people to know what went into it and how this man impacted Gandhi, for what reasons? And what was the uh, underlying, what are the underlying reasons for which he became almost a replica of Rajchandra? I'll be very happy, spread the word around. <laughs> if this uh, podcast does it, be very happy. And please also, wherever it goes, I would love them to contact me. My email is with you. You can pass it on free. And I would like to enter into dialogue. And I would encourage those who feel inspired or motivated, write reviews about the book. I'll be very happy and I feel my purpose is achieved. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity and calling. You're most welcome. It happens to be, you know, when folks listen to podcasts, it could be any time, but this happens to be uh, during Navaratri, the Goddess Festival 2020. And so I can say that during Navaratri, I had the darshan of Uma herself. <laughs> so, so for those of you uh, who are listening out there who happen to be connected to the world of film, <laughs> and if you're interested in making a movie about the spiritual um, influences of Gandhi, and particularly uh, Rajendra, you now know who to contact. We will put Uma's email in the description <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> and she's inviting you to have a conversation with her about this, this, this obvious passion of hers. Um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you very, very, very much. And uh, wishing you wonderful, happy Navratri to all Hindus and Mother Varshi. And definitely my very warm hello to all lovers of philosophy, spirituality, and Gandhiji in particular. So Gandhi Rajchandra should always be mentioned together. <laughs> Thank you. For those of you listening, we've been speaking with Dr. Uma Majmudar about her brand new 2020 Lexington Books publication, Gandhi and Rajchandra, The Making of the Mahatma. Uh, until next time, keep reading, keep listening, stay safe and contemplate the makings of the Mahatma. Yes, thank you. I hope so. 